Hello and welcome back to episode 14 of The Teacher Takeaway. I'm joined by my lovely co-hosts, Aaron Johnson. Hello. Alice Viggers. Hi, everyone. And Beck West. Welcome back, everybody. And we are excited to have you back for episode 14, which our focus for this episode is going to be on literacy groups. And our inquiry question is, how do we effectively cater for the literacy needs of all learners? What is literacy groups? Because we were having a discussion that in different contexts, in different states, they mean different things. So would one of us like to start off with what our definition is and what we're going to be discussing about literacy groups today? I think for me, it means what you need it to mean. It's not a standard um, approach where we say, yes, if you've got 30 kids, you've got six groups of five. And that must be how it works, because (laughs) if you're trying that, it's never going to work that way. I think when we say those literacy groups, it's around uh, pinpointing the needs in your class and they will change regularly um, as you need to. So it, it could mean six groups of five, five groups of six or whatever it might mean. It could mean one group of five and the rest of the class are the other group doing something or mix and match, choose your own adventure. Um, and when you're talking about using that word group, it's not ability grouping necessarily. You are grouping point of need, whatever that may be. That's right. Um, thanks to that, Beck. Aaron or Alice, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, I was going to say, you know, I guess traditionally we always refer to it as reading groups, but understanding, I know in me and my context, it's not just about reading, you know, our, our groups and our sessions um, change throughout the week, depending on whether we're doing writing and whether it is reading and spelling and kind of incorporating all of those things and understanding that there, there are different formats and different ways to do it. But um, it just really comes down to, I don't know, whatever you call it. What yeah. do you call it in your room? How do you teach <laughs> literacy skills? Yeah. yeah, stations, groups, rotations. Yeah. Guided reading, exa- all of that kind of stuff, guided writing. Everyone it, calls it something different. but Exactly right. And when we've done our explicit teaching in the morning and then we're going over to our guided reading groups, what, what do we do to keep our, you know, the rest of our class engaged? And that's what we're going to be going through today, discussing some of the great um, activities and structures and uh, starting points and hopefully some key takeaways for you is for when you're doing your next literacy group or whatever you may call it in your context you've got a deeper understanding and maybe reinvigorated with some ideas to take away so starting off um, how do you guys format yours what does that look like Aaron? So like I was just saying, um, so I generally have like a literacy block every day, you know, in a perfect world, it's always, you know, the morning session. Um, but I try and make sure out of those five sessions throughout the week where we're doing a few where it's a reading focus, a few where it's a writing focus. And then within both of those, I guess, group formats, we have things that we do every day, like our word work and our um, spelling and phonics and things like that. But um, yeah, we, we generally have three, three sessions where I'm working with kids on, you know, a, a reading focus and then three sessions a week where we're doing a, a writing focus and some of those will be back to back and some of them it'll be just a really strong reading focus session or a really strong writing focus session throughout the week. Perfect. Thanks, Aaron. What about you, Beck and Alice? What's your format look like? Um, for me, it's it's trying to get that two hour or, or whatever it looks like, an hour and a half or whatever, um, literacy block, like solid sessions. So beginning with a really rich kind of shared text that we can 
bring that oral language in, which is what we've talked about in previous um, episodes, and using that as a springboard into the writing session where or the reading session, whichever kind of molds along um, in a better way. So sometimes I'll do it as a reading and then I'll do writing or the opposite, um, depending on the needs of the kids. But it's about kind of looking at, um, you know, what, what does that text allow us to explore? What are the, what are the needs of the kids and, and really grouping depending on the skills that we're, that are currently kind of working on. And, and so my groups are very, kind of fluid and we don't kind of you know red groups not always the same you know four four kids and they're always red group and they know they're always red group and they never move from red group being you know that's the lowest group or whatever like term one week one you're in red group and term four week ten you're still in red group exactly (laughs) so it's it's kind of looking at having that that guided practice where it's point of need it's that intervention of of kids and identifying that for both reading and writing um, and weaving spelling into that process as well. Um, and then those kids that aren't, and I know we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this, but those kids that aren't in that explicit small group instruction with you, they're working on consolidating the skills that that we've I've modelled and we're, we're practising and, and building um, through that process, which we'll dive a little bit deeper into, I'm sure, as the episode goes on. <laughs> no, thank you, Alice. Anything to add there, Beck? It's, it's so hard for me to answer this distinctively because, yeah. like, I've been teaching for 18 years and I don't think I've ever run reading groups exactly the same any year from another year. It's always modified to suit. Always evolving. Always. Well, evolving practice but changing kids as well. So, I Aids mean. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. in the context you've got with uh, whether you're EALD or, uh, you know, poor vocab, but even, you know, working in a small country school. The, the culture of uh, having cousins in a class or siblings even in a class if you're in a small school that has those composites can change the dynamic and how the kids can work together. So, you know, one class that I had, I, I could really well, uh, run really well, sorry, uh, a structure where I had those reading groups that would come to me and then the rest of the kids were doing must-dos, can-dos. You know, they could be taught to do that really, really well. But then I've had other classes where they just... Um, could not handle the free range environment and really needed structure and routine and guidance on it. So I think um, the best thing any teacher could go is just openness and, and willingness to adapt and modify to suit the kids' needs and be be prepared that sessions might fail and feel like crap. Um, yeah. And that's not necessarily a reflection on you. It just means that you're pinpointing that best um, best way of doing it for those kids. I don't know yeah. we talked about that before in terms of, of you know kind of feeling the needs of your your kids and what works in terms of how best to run things for your class because mm-hmm. you know the way that I do things or you Beck or Aaron or James would be all very different depending on the kids that we have in front of us and and the way that they respond to that type of instruction and you don't have to find your own style you can copy another teacher and see if it works for you no one no one gatekeeps any of these practices <laughs> mm, yeah and i know what you were saying back to about shifting and changing and it and it's okay to go you know i tried something and it didn't work it's not you personally like you said it can just be the cohort of kids or where they're at at that point in time um, that you may need to make those those changes and it's not necessarily a bad thing or you've done something wrong or made a mistake it's really like you said at every point in time am I giving my kids or doing what's exactly right for them yeah am I meeting their needs 
That's it. I think yeah, actually what you said, Alice, on being flexible and fluid, that's one thing I do maintain though. So when I um, I used to back in the day have, yeah, my here's my reading groups, here's where they are, and yeah, those low kids were always in the low group. Even though they moved, they always ended up in the low group. What I've done now is um, be more mindful of targeting point of needs so that those names um, will, you know, chop and change around. So like um, I, I always have different themes. So that last year I was on class, it was all Harry Potter characters. Those were the different groups that were in there. But like the kids would change constantly who they were because one week it might have been looking at fluency. One week it, one week it might have been looking at comprehension. And because their names chopped and changed so many times, they didn't see themselves as sitting in, I'm always in the low group or I'm always yeah. in the, the Harry group or something like that. Um, so the kids got used to me being flexible and fluid and they understood that mm. that's just how it was. There was no identification of like, oh, I feel like I'm the smart kid or the dumb kid or something like that. Yeah. And that's yeah. an important point because the kids are aware, you know, oh, and hugely. and often if people go by the animals and if sharks or, you know, the other top group, the kids Sloths. know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was always told it's it was the wombats. The wombats, the wombats are always the low group. That's right. The, the kids are, are very mindful. So yeah. touching on some of the points that you were saying, um, I think it was you, Beck, who mentioned uh, free flow or something. What, what do you mean by free flow? Oh, the free range environment. Free range. So, so yeah, think like the chooks have got all the seeds spread out and they can go pick and choose which one they want or must do, can do, if you know that process as well. So depending on how you want to set it up, quite literally the kids just go and pick whichever tasks they want to do in that particular order. So the must-dos are the, the tasks that they know. You must complete this task at some point in this given time frame. If you complete all of those, you can move to the can-dos. So you can go and do that in the, the given time frame if there's time left to do it. Um, some like to structure it out. Uh, I remember when I had a couple of new kids come into the class and that kind of threw things off a little bit. I had, here's the must-do uh, activities in order. One, two, three, four. So pretty much the whole class were doing the must-dos in their own time frame. And I guess you would consider it early finishers would go and do the can-dos. Um, just to give it a bit of structure. I purposely made it though so that the all of the kids could achieve that and get to the can-dos. Um, I usually kind of think of the can-dos as a bit of a dessert to the dinner. That's the more enticing thing that they want to get to, so it motivates them to get through the must-dos. Regardless, though, all of those activities should be independent and accessible and quite um, open. So imagine um, the writing station. I would have a some kind of stimulus at the writing station uh, and the best stimulus hands down is when you give them uh, note paper and an envelope and a pretend post box. They will go for gold writing letters to anyone and everyone. You could tell them, write a letter to me, write a letter to Santa, write a letter to your favorite movie character or whatever. Kids love writing letters and putting it in the envelope and stuffing it in the post box. But that's open-ended. That Can There I wasn't a big set thing. Sorry, Becca. I wanted to... Um interrupt there on one of the points that sometimes I find that teachers get stuck on is when you have at each of your centres or, or groups or whatever you want to call it, it's my personal opinion is that it's important that if Beck had never taught her kids what a letter is, she, yeah. during these literacy groups, she wouldn't expect her kids to do something she hadn't taught them. Yeah. So yeah. during these groups, there's no <laughs> new learning or anything like that. It's consolidating the learning yes, that's yes, taken place yeah. from, from explicit teaching because I've often... Yeah worked with some um, teachers where they're like, oh, my literacy groups this morning, they just went to shambles. 
But the reason why they went to shambles is because they introduced new learning. The kids didn't understand what they had to do. And yeah. then those kids were then going and interrupting the teacher during guided reading. That yeah. led to that teacher getting well, frustrated. how do I write a letter? That's right. So it's really important. I just wrote A. There's my letter. Yes, yes, yep. yes that yep. should be clear. Yes. And Alice mm. said that before. Yeah, you consolidate that thing. So, like, an example of one that worked really well is I had a weeks of um, – whatever the writing focus was, was around questioning. So then the following week for um, one of those literacy activities was the kids had post-it notes. Again, kids love post-it notes too. All of these quirky ways we oh, get our kids to write. And they they just had to think of questions. And then we slapped them up on the wall on the post-it notes. They're like They got deep and meaningful. They started asking things like, how was money created um, this was a year two class. How was money created? They got a bit uh, worldly and started asking about where did God come from? Like questions like that. But that obviously stemmed from the week before we learn how we start a question. What's the punctuation that accompanies a question, that kind of a thing. So they could not only successfully achieve that task independently in that uh, must do, can do activity. They got really deep and meaningful with it, which meant that we could revisit mm. it as a talking and listening activity, um, you know, after the, they had all put their questions up on the board. So, yes, taught beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Thanks, Beck. And uh, Aaron or Alice, like Beck was talking there about um, a writing activity and a speaking and listening. When you're planning um, your your activities, and I know that it's dependent upon, you know, the learning focus, but do you guys try and hit spelling, then there's a grammar and punctuation and vocab, a writing activity, speaking and listening. What do you take into mind when planning the different activities? I um, I... And the activities generally, it really does depend on the age group. I find at the moment, because I'm teaching stage three, my activities generally don't change every day, but we have, I guess, core things that we're working on over the course of the week. But I generally kind of go, I don't know if you've heard of, you know, the daily five model is sort of how mm. I pick my activity. So those core things happen every day where there is a piece of writing, there is word work, which is linked to our, our phonics or our, you know, grammar focus or whatever it is that we're doing. And then we're getting them to read, to read solo, you know, listen to reading. So they might, um, go onto Storyline Online and listen to a story. They might have a friend read to them. They might even listen to a podcast or BTN or something like that and do a response to that. Um, and then, you know, um, reading to somebody as well. And so all of those things there, like Beck was saying, the activity is there for everybody, but the, maybe the text that they're doing or the stimulus is, is open-ended and they can access it sort of at any point. But I found um, going up, you know, to stage three, even though we call it daily five, it's kind of like a weekly five because I really want quality. And it's something that I know with, particularly with writing, my kids don't get it finished in, you know, one session and they yeah. want to keep going. So I do with mine to have that daily five suite of sort of activities. And then we've got optional things at the end, like I guess the, the can-dos for the kids who finish all of their daily or weekly five activities, however you want to um, refer to it, and then um, they go from there. But they're always the core things that I start with, you know, making sure all of those key, I guess, literacy things are covered um, and planned for during the week. And um, really that's what they're awesome. working on when I'm, you know, doing my small group instruction. I really like that idea, Aaron, because I know, 
um, particular if I think when I was teaching stage three as well, that using that time for the, the stage three students in particular to, to focus on quality. And we often find when we've talked about writing and often our students get don't get the chance to publish their text. It's such a great opportunity as part of their daily five to actually publish and to, to hone in um, on, on their focus rather than just changing it up each day. Yeah. And, and it's and it's a good point that you've um, raised there, James. I I over the last kind of few years have kind of did a big overhaul of my literacy block and really sat down and worked out, you know, what is it that I'm trying to achieve? And you know, if if you're looking at writing and you mentioned there about you know the kids not getting to that that end process of publishing or you know the the editing and the proofreading and the reworking and all that kind of stuff we're not giving them that opportunity i've actually kind of shifted my thinking instead of going right this is this is what we're doing for a week going to like a fortnightly cycle and slowing that that process down giving the kids that that time and that quality instruction that quality feedback to be able to build that process so that they're not saying that, mm. oh, you know, writers produce a piece of text in a week. You know, it's something that's that's continuously worked on and, and it's, as I said in the beginning, it's shaped by a, a piece of quality text as our, as our stimulus. So our reading follows that same kind of two-week cycle, but it allows us to, to dig deeply into the text and pull it apart and, you know, oftentimes I was always, you know, one of those people that would do, you know, guided reading groups and every group has to be doing something different and it would just do my yeah. head and I just, yeah. and you have kids come up and they oh, annoy you, annoy you, and you're trying to work with this small group and I just, I'd look at those groups and think, gosh, that's just busy work. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's yeah. busy work because I want to work with these four kids on this particular skill. Yeah. And so the last kind of few years I've gone, you know what? We're all doing, say it's fluency. Today, you know, today's focus, we're gonna we're gonna look at fluency and we're really gonna hone in on that skill. So everybody's doing fluency and the and the kids that I pull are the ones that I go, right, I need to work with you on this particular skill or whatever. And the rest of the kids mm-hmm. are independently, you know, revising and consolidating that particular focus that we're looking at, that we've identified through observation and assessment. And I realised, you know what, that's okay. I'm, I'm doing more and the kids that feel more confident and comfortable doing that as opposed to rotating through madly through activities and not getting mm. them done. And just to as you said, yeah. just to tick a box to say, yes, we're I, done. I done would reading. find I would get to my reading groups and I'm so tired. I would be so tired from the 50,000 <laughs> activities that I'd spent the morning setting up because at this really? station I've got to have the five different things for the five different yeah. groups and then I get to reading yeah. this and go, oh, you've I'm got to freaking build a exhausted. Bank, build a bank of yeah. open-ended types exactly things right. that would yeah. be able to go back to and engage with. Yeah. I'm trying to think of an example like, okay, it's it's silly and it's small, but for, for little kids it's good, boggle. Like the game of yes. boggle. Like, and there was one that we had that was this really cool trippy one that like you would twist and it would flip and the kids would get to make it look funny to do that. But, I mean, they, we would get set, sit down there, get the timer, there's letter identification, you know, CVC words, you know, that kind of focus that you had on there. But, like, they would go back to that 20 times and get new responses, new letters and new focus. they talk to their friends and hear different responses and go, oh, I got that one too or you got that one or, oh, my God, I got a four-letter word. 
you, that's just sitting in the box there, ready to pull out when you think, oh God, I'm missing a literacy activity. Pull that one yeah. out for them. Mm. You know, there's a bank there that they can go back to. And it sounds meaningless, but the kids are engaged in it and yeah. they're learning. That's and just right. because you say, right, we're doing reading groups, groups doesn't mean that every group is doing different things. You could be all working on the same, yes, the same big idea, but how you're getting to that end process, that pathway is slightly different depending on the needs of those kids or, you know, they could be working particularly with a different text or, you know, at their point of need, but they're all getting to that that same point and you're not having to do, as you said, Aaron, running madly around doing, you know, getting preparing 50 different things just for those five groups for that one day. Yeah, the that's right. The pathologist at our school caused that, called that core goals so she was helping us because we had an ex- this really particular cohort that has high um, expressive and receptive language delays. So she was working with us in our um, literacy planning around how to differentiate specifically for those kids because we're not qualified speech pathologists. Um, and she was talking about how when we um, create our program in mind, not necessarily uh, differentiating the task or the resources, but differentiating our core goal for that student. So uh, one example that I was thinking of was, um, you know, the learning attention success criteria was something around students using adjectives in sentences or something like that. I don't know. It was like last term and we're all a bit brain dead after lockdown. (laughs) Um, But then like she directed us to, to recognize when we're doing this, what is actually the core goal for those kids with those speech delays. And the core goal was, do they actually even know what an adjective is? being able to identify an adjective, to say an adjective in a sentence, to use it um, with something as well. And it made it so much easier because the whole point was using that adjective. So the kids that were sitting down were using the adjective in a sentence at that level that they were at. Those kids that we had used the pull away method for, so technically they were in a group with me um, with that targeted core goal of what's an adjective and I could focus on that. And then the kids could still come back and meet that success criteria of the rest of the class just by targeting that core goal. So that's quality differentiated instruction right there. Yeah, and it changed your mindset as a teacher too because sometimes you think, oh, I'm not doing enough for those kids or I'm not changing everything, but really just changing the core goal of what you're focusing on with them meant I know what I'm doing with those kids. Because you want them to to be able to achieve all of those big goals that we have in the syllabus, you know, those outcomes, but the pathway for them has to be different based on their needs. But it's also about their progress. It's not Mm. always just about their achievement. It's chunking that into little steps so that they are making progress towards that big end goal. Mm. Perfect. All students. Some great ideas discussed, you know, there. I've even taken a few takeaways halfway through this episode of being, (laughs) being mindful of, first of all, reflecting on Beck's point that, you know, us as a teacher, do we even know what the learning intention is for each activity that we've got set out? And if mm. we don't know the learning intention that we want our students to get out of each activity, how do we expect our students? And that goes back to what Alice was discussing about being mindful to have meaningful activities out there that's connecting to the learning that's taking place for the explicit teaching. It's not just busy work. I've got in, I'm a little bit late crap what yeah. can I print out I'm just going to pull a finder word <laughs> and they're going to sit and do a finder word while I that's what I mean and that leads to, to interruption not engaged students yeah. as well mm. and we all know that if students perceive even our, our youngest students in K to two if they believe that it's not meaningful and that 
it's got no connection, yeah. well, you're going to lose the you, your troops on that one. So that leads me to to think about for for you guys: is there any way that you do it differently from K to two to three to six? In in um in our infants classes, we still have play corner, and I love it. I love play corner. <laughs> we had have a teacher who set such high expectations for everyone else, where she would rotate it. I think every fortnight it would rotate, but it was so perfectly linked to what they were doing in the classroom. So, um, whatever their quality text was that they were going through at the time, she would turn that into her play corner. We had sushi shops, we had pizza restaurants, and I'm talking the full stuff. They had a cafe with the little takeaway cups from McDonald's and you would, and this is what I'm at. Like anyone looking on the outside would look at it and go, yeah, that's busy work. But when you go in, the vocab that the kids are using, they had labels, they had visuals, it had like the pecs and the board maker in there. The kids had instructions on what they had to do. So if it was a little shop, they had money things in there and they had to calculate change and they had tasks to go with that station. It was great for speaking and listening. It was um, great for building vocab on kids that we know have poor vocab when they start school. It is play-based learning, which we know is evidence-based and it was tied in with what they were learning in the classroom. It was my favorite place to go in. When I went in, they'd be like, Mrs. West, do you want a coffee? Ah, yes, I do. Thank you. Can I have a croissant to go with that? And these kids would know what a croissant is because it was right there with the toy, with the visual. So much fun. Uh, doesn't work as well in the older grades i found um <laughs> they're, they're, no they're just designing their own learning through a minecraft world and that's yes, how that they do their learning yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. but no it's a, it's a good point there Beck. sometimes their students when we've made learning so much fun that they, they don't even realize that they're consolidating their learning from that's from right that text, yeah so. and and i was going to say i think the the essence of the app the the, the thought behind the activities for my particular thing, because I've done K to two and three to six, it just looks different. I've always got that writing station or that writing activity. And I've always got that word work. I've still always got, I guess, those key literacy components similar to that daily five structure, but it's what it looks like, you know, yeah. in those younger years, it is a lot more games based because the kids come in and they just think, oh, well, we just play games all morning. You know, where <laughs> yeah. I've had parents go, well, they just say they play games all day. I'm like, yeah, they don't know they're learning. That's that's, that's a win. great, but <laughs> it's still the, the I guess the the idea behind it is it's building those essential skills. Um, but you know the, the older the older years, yes, we don't do the play the play corner, but we have done a thing where there's a different group each week that produces the news report for the class for the week, and they're practicing, they're speaking, and listening because they've got a film, they've got to do a local news story for the week, and a weather report and things like that. So it's still that concept of practicing those speaking and listening skills and that writing, but it just is, it looks different to a cafe if that makes sense. Yeah. But no, <laughs> the core concept is still there. Exactly right. And I think you summed that up perfectly, Aaron, that it's it's the same, like you're hitting a writing, you're hitting a grammar punk vocab, speaking, listening, but the activity that you set is just in a modified way. And K to two, obviously, we're still developing um, the, the fine and gross motor skills. So a lot of the times the activities we sometimes have for that is more hands-on, whereas as they get older, obviously, they become uh, more experienced in a lot of areas. The activities might go for a little bit longer. They involve a lot more processes and skills because the students have it at that time. When that leads me on to say we've, we've got our activities. Maybe it's based off the daily five. It's linked on to, to whatever it may be. How, how do you 
and I know we discussed this before I asked, it's going to be the context of our class, but what have you found to be the most uh, successive one on, in general, uh, rotations or free flow? Oh, and I know it's based on <laughs> context because, uh, and I'll start this one off while, while we're thinking um, that I, myself, in, in my thinking, I prefer free flow to an extent because I hate the idea of saying students are going to sit for five minutes, I'm going to ring a bell or there's going to be a timer here and they move on. Mm. All the students that I've, you know, found out work at a different pace. Sometimes, you know, you can argue that, you know, little Johnny could sit there for an hour on the one activity if you don't rotate him on. But then the other argument is, are our students ever finishing activities if we keep moving them on? But then you could say to me, mm. James, I'll be mindful, I set the activity that they can achieve it. But um, <laughs> I prefer free flow in a way when I've had it on my display board, whatever you have in your class, whether it's a smart board, Promethean, whatever it is, that I'll have the name of the activity. So, for example, um, they always start with a familiar read and that's K to six, whatever year I'm on. The first thing that they'll start yeah. with is a familiar read. If they're three to six, there's a certain amount of pages. K to two, for my more experienced one, still set amount of pages. Familiar read. Then there's a spelling activity. Then there's a writing activity. Um, then the list goes on. I ha then have all their names in it. So they all start at familiar read. Once they've done familiar read, they go up to the computer, they click their name and move it to the next box. So when I'm overworking in my guided reading groups, if I look up and I go, oh, I'm up to my second group and Marley's still on a familiar read, what's going on? I'm going to address that student there and their needs. And I, I find that's personally, when I speak in a general sense, I like that idea of free flow or mm. students having that autonomy opposed to rotations, but they definitely have their place. And that's my yeah. thinking. I think if I, yeah, looking, trying to look back on all the years, it, it's definitely, I think the better <laughs> effectiveness I have is evident in the fact that um, when I do the, the free range must do, can do one, the kids ended up getting to the point where I didn't have to do the name thing, the, the move the name thing. They got so set up and they felt the benefit and the autonomy in it too. They valued it. If I, if I think back to years when I stuck to my rigid sort of here's my group's timer type thing, it got to, there was always that last session. It was like, where are you meant to be, Johnny? What are you meant to be doing right now? Go back and do this one. Whereas I think of doing the must do can do's the end of the year, it was never that. It was like, okay, you know, that token kid that I want to keep my eye on. Have you done everything? Show me. Yep, you've done it all. Great. Like you didn't have to sort of stay on top of them mm. like that. I think I had more, yeah, you've got to train them up at the beginning yes. and set the expectations on 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 yeah. behaviour and, you know, what As you're doing. As you do with classroom. everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And, and the quality of what they're doing too and the fact that you revisit it and go, yeah, it's, it's not just, yeah, you've done it, I believe you. You're actually checking their work sharing accountability kind of thing. yeah absolutely and yeah i think the my evidence is that by the end of the year i didn't have to nag them like they mm. were doing it themselves they they From the expectations it. you set up yeah yeah and enforced and upheld you, you stole my thoughts back i was gonna say <laughs> i was gonna say for me i was gonna say do you know oh, great ones think alike. <laughs> i'll, I'll be quiet now back? i'll mute <laughs> i was gonna say for me like free flow is the goal but it doesn't happen overnight and it comes down yeah. to, like you said, back that training, being really explicit. Like I literally, the start of the year, we all did just one activity and we just practiced that activity for a good week because I wanted the kids to know what was expected and how to do it. So then you release them into free flow and there isn't that, I don't know what to do. I don't understand. Mm. So I think the goal is 
for me, getting to free flow, but it's a process where we start with just doing one thing at a time. And then we do practice that you're going to do this for 10 minutes and then the time is going to go off and you're going to move on to the next thing because you've got to learn to pace yourself and make sure that you are getting it done within, you know, a set amount of time. So it's, it's understand that it's a process. Um, and if free flow is what you're going for, it doesn't happen overnight because I mean, if it does, falls apart the wheels fall off let's be honest no i like that aaron the three points i take start small achieve success scale it up they're they're the three points to to take and (laughs) i agree with your points there that you couldn't just expect have you you know your activity set up and go go for it kids you're going to pull out your hair and go oh and then there's (laughs) and then there's that that's not how Mrs. West does it. <laughs> well, we didn't I do like it that way last West. year. I like to say in my class at the study, well, you're in my world now. <laughs> I feel exactly like that needs right. to be on a T-shirt, James. Yeah. <laughs> start, start small. What did you say? Start small. start small, achieve success, scale it up. Yeah, yeah let's make T-shirts. Put that in the show notes. Hey, that. <laughs> Someone write so that down. But it's, but it's the same with like, you know, riding a bike, digressing yeah. from literacy for just a moment. It's it's like riding a bike. We can't throw a toddler on a, a big bike with no training wheels and expect them to be able to ride it. We have to build that Not process up. anyway. No, <laughs> give them the skills and, and, you know, anything that we do in literacy, any any area of education really requires those three key pillars i'm going to call them james i like that but we're sticking with the the key of three at the moment three yeah (laughs) and focusing and i know we've touched on some of these already and we could be here for days because there's so many that we would have all done over our time but what's some activity examples any i guess um, maybe speaking more broadly, the ones that you have found to have the most fun, maybe that you've had or that your kids had or that's had the most impact. Does anyone want to share their successful activities? I'm going to let these guys talk because I've been talking too much. <laughs> Alice? Um, oh, put me on the spot. Um, I don't know, I quite, I quite like a... Um, fluency kind of practice between the kids having that timed kind of fluency and and being having been in stage three for quite a while now that's kind of where my brain focuses um yeah I'm gonna start with that let me think that's all right (laughs) Aaron your favorite activity Uh, one of your favorite similar to what um Alice was saying going off that fluency one thing I love doing and seeing the kids do it is listening to themselves back so recording your reading and listening yeah. into it back and then going is that what I sound like <laughs> um, it's always a successful activity I think no matter what age because kids don't realize what they sound like until they hear it yeah and then them go oh, I get what you're saying now I get when you say it sounds like this they don't believe you. They think you're making it up. So that's one thing that I love doing. And I love that. those those little phones that you can get where they yeah. can hear themselves and you see their face go, oh, like. Yeah. yeah. Really? That's what we look like when we hear our podcast back. Do I sound yeah. like that? I don't listen to it, guys. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Ew. Um, but, yeah, that's I think that's an activity that is always successful is getting the kids to read read solo and either with, you know, one of those PVC phone things or an iPad or a device where they record it and then listen to it back and go, what did you think? 
let's focus on this bit. Let's re-record it and work on that is, yes. is always a successful one. And I like recording it too and getting them to kind of upload it to a like a Google Drive folder that they have because then that's a really good ongoing assessment to see their progression with their fluency and picking mm-hmm. up on all of those you know, the intonation that they have and, and the, the yeah. quirky little ways that they have of saying saying words or particular sounds or, you know, you can see that that progression and it's good good ongoing data there. Yeah, or great opportunity for student self-assessment, peer Absolutely. assessment. And yeah. also when we have those. Light up when they see their improvement, like when yes. they flip to side. I love doing that. When you go back to the beginning, look at your handwriting or look at your writing at the beginning of the year. Look at it now. And they yeah. get that cute little like, yeah, I'm doing good. <laughs> look yeah. How good face. am I? <laughs> yeah. No, it is, but so it is adorable. a nice feeling. Yeah. And for those, you know, and even for them to, you know, have that autonomy over, the, over their learning and when they have their grown-ups in at school, what a great point to go. It's say, um, Alice, if it is on a Google Drive or whatever platforms you have where you've got your learning journals at your school, but they go back and reflect look where I was at the beginning yeah. of the year. Here's my first one. This. Here's yeah. what I sound like now. Look at That's how much I've grown. idea. Yeah. Mm, I've yeah. got two. Can I share two of my favourite ones? Yeah, I think we can fit in two for, for you. Just the, el- of the elder of the crowd. I get more. <laughs> um, no, one is every classroom must have a reading corner. I kid you not. Like I can't advocate for this more than anything else. I'm talking free reading corner with anything in it. Comic books, how to draw picture books, picture books, chapter books, any kind of book that's in there because anything that they're happy to pick up is a good thing because we know we've got those kids out there that it's anxiety for them just to open a book because they know the only time they read is when they're with a teacher and it's, you know, high expectations and that kind of thing. That might be the only time they engage with a book and we don't want that. We don't want that to be the only time they engage with a book like that. So, you know, we do our quality text reading. We do our read twos and everything, but there should be a time that a kid gets to snuggle up on a cushion and just enjoy opening a book and feel that excitement of opening up a page. Even Where's Wally? I don't care if it's Where's Wally. Put that in your reading corner so that a yeah. kid gets excitement from opening a book. and Visual literacy. That's right. That's it. It's all that. You know, <laughs> and for little Johnny who's on a level one, he can still access because he right. can find Wally. He can, I kid you not. My son is so fast at finding it. Um, the other thing is similarly a, a writing station as well. And I, I cannot demonstrate the power of textures, gel pens, glitter pens, glue pens. Yeah, post-it notes, coloured paper, round paper. Um, what do you call Anything it? Anything out of the ordinary. Yeah, Spy anything. pens, people, that's yes. what you need. Oh, they're yeah. the best. The kids you get them love them. Oh, anyone who doesn't know what it is, it's like invisible ink and then it's got like a torch on the other end. and they Like can a UV light and they, they shine on, they can see it, yeah. It's the best thing ever. All those Spy writing was always a winner. That was, yep, I love it. I, I've still got some of those in my prize box at the moment. Oh, I miss the kids. I mean, um, and if you are on a budget, people, and you can't afford a spy pen, lemon juice works just as well. Oh, that's good to know. But, yeah, a writing station like that, again, obviously, if you're doing something structured that you've taught before, that's great. If you've got kids that are disengaged completely with writing, give them a spy pen, they will put something even, down no, on a bit of paper. Just thinking the little kids, like kinder kids, using a whiteboard marker on a little whiteboard, being able yes. to write words they'd like oh look at i'm like the teacher i'm writing on the whiteboard like (laughs) let them use the board let them use the t that is not you don't have a teacher board that's a classroom board let them write on it yeah (laughs) i was just thinking too just reminded me of um you know particularly with your upper or your primary classes 
getting into some really good like literature circle kind of activities where you're having that rich discussion about a text with other people who are reading and enjoying that text Mm. with you. And I often Mm. think like I think back to a couple of years ago and I had these really bright group of boys that just love to read and they were reading I think it was like 400 minutes of danger or something like that where there was lots of different stories in this one big story and they didn't even need me to support this group but I just love just to sit there and I'd be just like I was recording this like the the discussion and their conversation backwards and forwards about the book is like this is this is what reading is supposed to be about that that discussion and it's just like oh I love this and then the other kids would come in and be like oh yeah I've read that chapter and they join into this into this discussion and all the other groups are like oh yeah like we want to read that book next and that excitement about reading is it's it's the goal really of chasing, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And when you find it, it's like, oh, yes, I wonder something good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like they moved into some kind of Socratic method without you. I did. <laughs> I was just, it was right one there. of those classes yeah. that you just go, do you guys even need me? Like, mm. <laughs> like you're just doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like you said, Aaron, we had those, we built those structures and we had them in place so mm. that, you know, by the time they got used to those routines, it was like, oh, do you guys need help? Like, I'm yeah. here. I'm here. Yeah, that's right. Need me? Like, yeah. Perfect. Well, moving on from from that, and just going to conclude the um, the episode for tonight. Um, we we had some other notes written down, and I, I believe this is going to be one um, from from our listeners of something that you might want to hear more about when we are talking about literacy groups or literacy centres or whatever you call it from wherever you're listening, um, something that you want us to go more in depth about because there's there's so much we can talk about, um, but being mindful of time. But over to you, Aaron, what was your takeaway from this episode? I think our takeaway, well, my takeaway from this is um, some of the things that we've talked about is is being flexible, knowing that when it comes to literacy groups, um, reading groups, whatever you want to call it, it's not something we can we can plan out, you know, the roadmap of this is how it's going to be. And it's okay to make shifts from day to day and go, this isn't working. I'm going to change. It's not a, not a failure. It's about constantly responding to whatever our kids need and maybe it's a little bit more structure a little bit more free flow maybe it's you know a, a focus on one particular aspect of literacy um, but I think to working smarter not harder we've all covered that tonight of not having 50,000 different things but having core things that are accessible to all students to make our life easier as well um, yeah well said Aaron I think you summed it up beautifully there <laughs> and um, see you next week <laughs> <laughs> that was everything in a nutshell you even need nutshell. us <laughs> <laughs> over to you alice um i was just thinking back to those those three pillars that you summed up james before what were they again Share well them. alice uh, i'm gonna type it i'm gonna type it go. going deep in yes. my mind now as as i did that start, start small, small achieve success, success scale it up scale it up and i think that up. that pretty much is like encapsulates the key message for tonight. Perfect. We start small, we build those expectations, we have that, we achieve them, yeah. We have the, that end goal but that, you know, chunking that journey, that differentiation along the way so that all students are achieving success and that, we, right. that we then scale it up 
as we go, it's not something that we, you know, start with straight away, that mm. we're building that process to the point of, of autonomy and confidence and independence with our students. Love it, Alice. Thank you. How about you, Beck? What were your takeaways from tonight? I think my biggest takeaway is just that um, reflection on what had really been successful for me the most over those years, because uh, I will absolutely advocate if you feel you need to do timed reading groups in your groups, because that's what works best for your kids. Absolutely do it. But um, that reflection that, you know what, I think I actually had long-term, better long-term success using those other methods. Um, that's something I'm going to be thinking about and wondering, did that just come with more years of experience on how to manage my class better and how to demonstrate my expectations? Or is it because that was a better pedagogical practice overall? That's right. Thanks. Thanks, Beck. And it's really interesting and something that we always try and instill is just, you can even hear from us talking tonight, but the importance of reflective practice. We're all up to different stages in our journey and in different roles, but the, the importance of reflecting upon what each and every one of us are doing and learning from one another to, to always reflect and try and to be the best teacher that we can be. And the I guess in summing up what um, Aaron, Alice and Beck was saying, the important thing is when it comes to literacy groups is there's so many different um, contextually things that are going to be relevant to you your journey, your school's journey and your student's journey. But the, the biggest thing that you need to be thinking about is, you know, all the different things that um, Aaron, Alice and Beck and myself has said tonight that you make it meaningful for you. you obviously, you don't overcomplicate it. We, we start small, we achieve success and we scale it up. And the most important thing that I just want to finish on because I, I've made this mistake so many times in the literacy groups, don't introduce anything new learning during that time. It will it will lead to a headache, and I don't want you to yep. have a headache. Consolidation, yeah. consolidation <laughs> is right. key in those. And have fun, sessions. have fun, make it fun. Because just like Beck was sharing with um, her colleague um, with the the play center there, there was still rich learning taking place, and learning is fun. And that's our job to try and make it as fun and meaningful as possible. So thank you for joining us for episode 14 tonight. We are so excited and we look forward to you joining us next time. Bye for now.